Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, well, keep in mind today that we, we are going to come to the communion table where we will remember what Christ did for us. And Jesus uh, took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Some translations say broken for you. Take and eat. Do, and then he took the cup. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood. And, and he encouraged the disciples to take and drink the cup and do this until, until either he takes us home or he comes and returns. So we're going to do that. And, and the Bible says that we're to examine ourselves, to look inside our heart. And, and if we see things there that are not right, that's what he died for. And we just acknowledge those to him. We say, Lord, I've done this. I've sinned. I've, please forgive me. He already has. And then we can take that bread together, take that cup together and be thankful. Amen. Well, we've been talking about um, unity uh, and uh, we're, we're ta- we've been going through the, into chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to Ephesus, and it's specifically about how to have uh, unity, how to be one, how to be like one. And, and the interesting thing is in the Bible, uh, we're of many nations, very, many nationalities, many different colors, many different languages, but in Christ we are one. He's one God, one Father, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism. And he's in all, he's over all, and he's through all. So that's, it's that oneness. And, and I want us to keep in mind uh, that oneness today and how we are to endeavor to keep it. We are to do all we can to keep it. And I want to, uh, to uh, address that today with keeping in mind again that when we ask ourselves how are we doing in that, Maybe we need the Lord's help before we come to the communion table to take the communion together. Let's read the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first seven verses out of a New King James Version of the Bible. This is what Paul wrote, and um, the title in my uh, Bible says, To Walk in Unity. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to show us, Lord, how to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Father, you speak to us today. Wherever we're at in our walk with you, in our life in you, in our relationship with you, Lord, would you speak to us individually and then would you speak to us corporately, together, as one, and show us, Lord, what it is we can do and what we need to do and what we need to understand in this particular passage 
in order to keep unity, to maintain unity, uh, Father, to walk worthy of the calling. Father, help us to do that, Lord, as we look into, this, into these scriptures today. In uh, Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, so last week, if you, if, you, if you missed last week, we looked at the first part on how to walk worthy, and we talked about how that means uh, when you look at what Christ has done, all that Christ has done, how he loved us, how he come to seek and to save us, and then we look at how we're to live is the life of the Christian life, and we look and see if that's evenly balanced. That's what it means to walk worthy. It's a, it's a, it's a, a weighted word. It means, are you walking in balance? Are you weighted all over here? You, you, have every, you know everything you need to know about the Bible. You've even got it memorized, but you're certainly not weighted over here walking it out. Or maybe you've heard a few words and you're trying to live the Christian life and you're doing it legalistically, not as the Bible teaches over here to do it righteously. And so, and so then you end up tipping this way. So he wants us to walk evenly. And we looked at that last week of sufficient weight. We looked at, uh, we looked at the spirit of the walk, with a walk worthy of the Lord, um, according to the calling that you were called. We talked about how there are two different types of calls that God puts on our lives or places before us. One is the general call. We talked about how when we look, look at what God's created, when we look at each other and see the diversity amongst us, and, or if we look at the human body and even look at blood, just look at the blood and through a microscope, how can you deny that there is a God? That's the general call. And, and, and uh, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that uh, it's, he's all around us. He's speaking to us every day. That's a general call. And many of us may have a general call, but we haven't had the second type of call is effectual call. In other words, a call that actually took effect on our lives. It actually changed our lives, actually transformed our lives. So again, walking worthy is walking in balance. Yes, there's a general call, but there's also an effectual call. And if you don't have the effectual call, you've just got the general call, you're tipped. And so we, we can live out the effectual call with greater assurance when we see the general call because God speaks all around us. That's what we looked at last week. And we, I asked you, how's, what's the spirit of your walk? Is it a careful walk? Are you walking in, the ma- in a good manner? Has it been effectual? Has Christ affected your life? Has the message affected your life? And so now today, we're looking at the, how to endeavor to keep this unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And, the, and the, the character of our lives in that endeavoring to keep the unity is going to be kept with this business of being <laughs> humble. Like he says, all lowliness, that means humility. Humility, not thinking more of yourself than you ought. And then gentleness, to be gentle with one another the translation might say meekness, even-tempered, balanced in your spirit. Again, a balanced word. I asked you last week, do you feel like you're even-tempered? How quickly we can flip, right? 
And then with long-suffering, to be patient. Gosh, we're so impatient anymore. I don't know about you, but we wanted it yesterday. And yet when Christ comes into your life, he gives you patience because he's patient. Remember, these are characteristics of Christ. And then we talked about bearing with one another in love. <laughs> and uh, one of the, one of the uh, commentaries said, that's putting up with one another. We all make mistakes. We say things we should, needed, didn't mean to say or, or, or we did mean to say. We said it in anger. And he says, well, we're to love one another. We're to love one another through that. And then we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Keeping in mind that there's one body. These are seven, there's a sevenfold event here of oneness. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, and he's of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Those are the, he's, remember, he's talking to believers when he says he's in you all. So as we look at this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit, or to endeavor to keep, you cannot keep something that you don't have. And, and, and this is important for us to, to think about. You cannot keep unity, in, uh, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace if you don't have the spirit. There has to be a beginning. There has to be a start. In other words, there has to be a start to your faith. Uh, when you look at the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, if you go over to Acts chapter 9, if you'll turn there into the book of Acts chapter 9, this is Paul's beginning. Beginning of his Christian life, not the beginning of his religious life. You know, remember, he was religious. He said he, could, he was the best of the best. But in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1, it says, Then Saul, who is Paul, writing to this Ephesians, to tell us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he was out arresting Christians and he thought he was doing the right thing. And he went to the high priest and, and uh, asked letters for him to the, to the synagogues of Damascus. He said, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he found any, any who were of the way, which is Christians, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It'd be like if Paul came in here, he would bind us all up and whisk us off to imprison us. And as he journeyed, he came to Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. This is Paul's beginning. This is what he says to endeavor to keep. This is the first part of keeping. You cannot keep something you don't have when it comes to the Christian faith. How can you keep your Christian faith in the bond of peace if you don't have it? So the first examination is, even for us today, is have, am I a Christian? Have I had a Damascus Road experience? In other words, I was running away from God, and God came chasing me, and he found me, and I turned around, I turned away from the, the things I was doing, and I said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. There's your beginning. 
and the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you and you become a believer in Jesus. And this is what happened to him. He fell on the ground, verse 4 says, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> Have you ever felt like Jesus has said that to you? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you living this way? I'm Jesus. I died for you. And he says, and, and Paul says, who, who, who are you, uh, uh, Lord? That's a question. And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, I want you to arise and I want you to go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. See, sometimes we think when we've received Jesus or even be in a service, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in particular, but he doesn't come on everybody in that way. You see something that nobody else sees because Jesus is a personal God and he knows what you need and he's trying to bring you to him so you can have this beginning in him to be born again. And these men, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Why? Because they, he was blinded. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Sometimes God has to get us into a place just like Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days in some darkness. And, and, and in Jonah's case, it wasn't until he'd been in there three days that he finally called out to God and admitted and confessed that he is God. And then at that moment, God said to the fish, spew him up on the shore, now I can use him. Now, was Jonah perfect after that? No, and neither are we. But he had a beginning, and, then, and Paul had a beginning. But when he began, verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Yeah, you want to bet he's praying? Blind, blinded, having seen the Lord, fasting, not eating, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Endeavor, what did he say? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
And immediately there fell, verse 18, fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. Now he's, not only is he born again, not only is he filled with the Holy Spirit, but now he's been baptized in water. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus, and of course, immediately, verse 20, he preached the Christ in the synagogues. He had his beginning He had his Damascus Road experience. He had time to really contemplate God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Lord Jesus came with Ananias' leading and through Ananias' ministry, he was filled. His eyes, he could see. Not only could he see physically, but he could see spiritually. He was baptized because the Bible says, what are we supposed to do now? Well, you're supposed to turn away from the way you're going, and you're supposed to turn to me, and you're supposed to be baptized. And then, of course, there's belief, uh, even in the Christian Mission Alliance, that there is a place of sanctification where it, after, after your conversion, after you've come to Christ, where there's going to be a, a move of the Holy Spirit upon your life, and that is the, is a, the filling of the Holy Spirit, a sanctified work of the Holy Spirit, and where God gets a hold of you and a grip on you, and there is going to be a baptism, yes, a, a water baptism, there's going to be a spiritual baptism, and there's going to be through your walk and your course of life, many fillings. The Bible says in Ephesians, later on, Paul writes, be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. That is many fillings. That is, we're like, uh, one man says, we're like leaky buckets. You know, life just, the water falls out of us. The Holy Spirit just flows through us. We get drained. We get tired. We we make mistakes, and we have to go to God and say, please, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Kelvin, on Wednesday night, brought the verse out of, verses out of Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. You got to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul had his beginning. That Paul had this beginning, and so when he writes, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, or the prisoner in the Lord, he was recognizing and looking back and saying, and saying, I had my Damascus Road experience. I was a prisoner to religion. Now I'm a prisoner to a relationship, and I want to tell you that we're to endeavor to keep what, was, what is given by God. He is one God. He is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one hope. There is one baptism. And it's for all of us that believe. And so you can only only be diligent to keep something that you actually have. So the first question is, do you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And that word, when it talks about endeavoring or being diligent, there's a, there's a, it's like a three-pronged work. It does describe there has to be a beginning, there has to be an inception, but then it also implies there has to be action. When we come to Christ, we don't just sit in a pew or sit in a chair or just show up on Sunday and say, well, I... I did believe in Jesus years ago, but there's no action in our life. There's no, there's no work getting done. There's no ministry happening through us. We think, well, that's the job of the pastor. No, it's the job of all of us, and that's what this passage is trying to say. 
And unity is a corporate event. Unity isn't just personal, it's corporate. It's for all of us, not just for one person, not just for the leaders. You pastor and you elders, you need to bring unity in this church. No, we bring unity in the church. We endeavor to keep it. But oftentimes if we look and we say there isn't unity, it may be because there are several in the church that haven't even had a beginning. There is no inception. And if there's been no inception, no start, we're just, we're, we're, we're not going to have unity in the spirit. We can have a unity of human fellowship, but not spiritual fellowship. Not unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And that is a problem, and not necessarily here, but it's a problem in, in, in a lot of our, in America or a lot across the world, is we're trying to challenge people to have a unity in something they don't have, which is the Spirit of God, which is the hope of eternal life, which is a relationship with Jesus. You've got to have a beginning, and then you've got to act on it to keep it. If that makes sense. Endeavoring calls for action. You're being diligent. It's like running a race. It's like you have to get on with it. You have to do it. Be diligent to keep, to guard, to observe, to watch over, to keep intact, to properly maintain. In, in, the, in the letter to Jude right before Revelation, it says it, it, we, need to, it needs to be, we need to cause one to stand firm in a thing and not to leave the faith. Not to throw away the faith. And, but that is also suggestive of a possession, a present possession. Don't throw what you presently have in your hands. Don't throw it away. Now, if there's a, if there's a challenge in here by Paul to keep the unity, to be diligent to keep, to endeavor to keep, it also implies the fact that there's a potential for that to be stolen from us, stolen from you, unity in the bond of peace. And, and, and Jesus addressed that. He says the thief comes to rob and steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Paul writes later in chapter 6 in Ephesians, that we're to take our stand against the devil's schemes. We're to put on the full armor of God. If we're to endeavor to keep something, we've got to be armed so we're not defeated in the keeping of it. You hold the shield of faith up for which it will, it will protect you from all the fiery darts of the enemy. The shield of faith. I believe in Jesus. I had an inception. I had a time on Damascus Road experience. For me, it was September 14th, 1987, when I finally went to church. Well, I'd gone the week before, but it didn't take. But I came back, and I finally admitted I had a lot of problems. I was I'm going to lose my family. I was going to lose my wife. I, I was in terrible financial condition. 
And I can look back at that Sunday night, September 14th, and I can look to actually admitting that I, what the problem was and getting prayer, that was my beginning. Did you, did you have a beginning? Maybe not like mine, but do you have one where you can look back and go, I remember the day. I remember the time. I remember the place. Sometimes people say, I, I don't have a clue. Well, today is the day of your salvation. Today will be the day of your beginning. It can be. And then you've got something to keep. You've got something to be diligent about. Something to guard. And if, you don't, if, you're not, if we're not diligent, believe me, this implication is not just an implication. It's a fact that there is a demonic and devilish and worldly forces that want to assault you from without to kill what's within. And Jesus does promise he'll never leave us nor will he forsake us. But we can live this Christian life and be absolutely miserable when that's not his intention. He's intending us to have life and have it to the full and to be in unity and be, in, be together in this. Listen, we're all fallible. We're all weak. We all have potential to fall away. We all make mistakes. You have to have the action. And to have what? The action for what? Unity, oneness, agreement, harmony. And the harmony is, 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 is sharing in the likeness of the nature of the Lord. That's why he lays it out there. The nature of the Lord. Humility, gentleness, meekness, even-tempered, balanced in his spirit, bearing with one another, loving one another. It's not I can stand up here and sound like a resounding gong if I don't have love. And we can, we can endeavor to keep the unity of spirit, but without love, we're just like banging a big old gong around each other. Keep the unity, to preserve it, to keep it, to attain it, to come in unity. When we come to the table, we come together. We all need, we all need the cross to come to the table. We all need that forgiveness. We, all, we, can't just, we don't just take the bread, take the cup, just because everybody else does it. It's a spiritual act. And we're to maintain unity, not create it. It's not something we create. Sometimes we might think, well, you know, it says here we're to endeavor to keep the unity. Well, maybe that means, no, that's not, I don't have to create it. It's already there. Where is the unity? It's the fact that there's one body. It's the fact that there's one spirit. The fact that there's one hope. The fact that there's a hope of our calling, which is the solid certainty of our calling. The fact that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That's where my unity is. That's where my harmony is. And it's in the form of a, the Spirit. You know, when Paul was in that room and he was blinded, I don't, we don't know. It doesn't really say what, he was, what was going through his head other than he was praying and he had a vision. He knew that Ananias was going to come and pray over him lay hands on him, but he was going to receive the Holy Spirit, and he received the Holy Spirit. And here in this verse, it says to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and to do it in the bond of peace. Well, 
What is the unity of the Spirit? What is the Spirit there? Your translation may have that Spirit as a small s Spirit. All your translation in your Bible may have a capital S Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. The word, the word it, it, it means wind or breath or the breath of life. So, so some translations have said it's the Spirit of God but it comes like a breath. It comes like wind, and it blows on you and blows in you. And so we must, we must un- try to understand this. It's the spirit in John 6.63 says, John 6.63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. And then, he, then Jesus says, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, it tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration. All scripture is given by inspiration. What does he mean there? It means it's God-breathed. I mean, it's God's breath. We used to, uh, one of the churches in uh, Colorado Springs, I used to have the whole, ask the whole congregation to, uh, to stand up and to, uh, we used to have it on the overhead, but um, uh, we used to say this verse together right before the sermon every single Sunday. All scripture and of course, we used to use the NIV, which is all scripture is God breathed. You've got to have an inception, you've got to have a beginning. We have to have that beginning in order to keep, you can't keep something you don't have. But the thing we're trying to keep too, we're trying to keep the unity of the spirit, unity of the spirit. Now, so the question is, how much of that spirit do I have? How much of that breath of God has been breathed into me? If all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm just asking you, is, if, if this verse in Ephesians is telling us to endeavor to keep the unity, the oneness of this breath of God in the bond of peace, which means in a harmonious relationships amongst one another, keeping in mind the oneness of God, that he's one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. I just don't, if we have him, if I have him and you have him, we have the same God. The same faith. Now, why don't we have unity? Because the unity is in the spirit. The unity is in the breath of God. The unity is in our own determination, our own action to get ourselves and dive ourselves into the word of God. To ask, to actually act. The action of acts, asking. Now, I've said to some people sometimes, Luke 11, uh, 11 through 13 says, why would God's going to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I have said to people, 
read that verse to people and sat down with them in their homes and, and said, here he says, uh, verse 13 of Luke 11 says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Say, why don't you ask him? I'm not gonna, I, don't, I'm, I don't believe I have to. And I'm certainly not going to do it when you ask me to, to, to do it. Oh, you're telling me to do it. I'm not going to do what you tell me. I don't believe I, I believe I got everything when I got saved. Well, you do get the Holy You can't be born again without the Spirit. But then if we look at our life, we ask ourselves, well, how are we doing with humility and gentleness and patience and love? And how are we doing with the bond of peace? And how, how are we doing there? Those are good questions to ask. And we're not creating something, we're maintaining something. It's something that's given, the unity of the Spirit. It's His work. It's something that He does in in us. I like this. um, It talks about, uh, what He talks about, it's it's His inbreathed persuasion, His inbirthed persuasion. If I asked you this, do you feel like you have birth in you an in-birth persuasion to keep the unity of the Spirit? Is it in-birthed in you to endeavor to do it, to be diligent at it, to do all you can to keep it? Is it in-birthed in you a sense of humility and gentleness even temperedness, balanced in your spirit. Is that natural? Is it something natural? You know, when Ezekiel talked about, I'm going to cut out your heart of stone, and I'm going to put in you a new spirit, small s, and then I'm going to fill you with the, with the spirit, the capital S spirit. You're not going to be that same person. You're going to have a new heart, a new spirit. That's what we're to endeavor to keep. Endeavor to keep. So it does have a beginning. You have to have an inception. You have to have a starting point, and we need some action. We need to endeavor. We need to be diligent. And then throughout your life, you're going to have to have the the third meaning of that uh, endeavoring to keep or however that uh, being diligent about keeping this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is uh, a third sort of implication of that word is that you've got to have follow through. So you've got to have a beginning. You have to have some action and then the follow through. So we may be really good. We may say, yes, I believed. Yes, I, I... I have some action there, but I'm really bad at following through. I'm really bad at carrying on. I'm really bad at getting after it. I I do it for a while, and I do it for a season, and then it gets old to me. I get dry, and I get dreary, and I, I I I lose my joy, and and so sort of I miss church sometimes. I miss fellowship. I miss prayer meetings. I don't, it's easy for me to do it. I, because why? Because when this endeavoring, this being diligent 
yes, you had your beginning. Yes, no one can take that away from you. You know, he who began a good work, and you will see it through to completion. Yes, he will. That's a promise of his, but how are you living? Do you feel like you have that fullness, that joy, that joy unspeakable? Um, (laughs) The devil comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it abundant. Is your life abundant? You say, no, it's not. So maybe you're missing out on follow-through. Maybe the follow-through's not there. And the follow-through comes oftentimes in fellowship. It means walking into fellowship and saying, well, I'll say the word isn't mine. I hope it's not inappropriate. We can cut it out. But life sucks. Just to walk in and say, that's what life, life is just, it just, it's, it, it's not working for me. And so you follow through on your own. The devil gets you in a darkness, in a, in a place of quietness. And, 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 and you're wondering, Why? Why am I not experiencing all that God has for me? Because I gave my life to Christ. I've attended church all my life. I have done some devotions. But where's the follow-through to keep following through? It is only can be done. You think, well, I can, I can do it in my own strength. No, you can't. You need the Holy Spirit. That's what you, you need Him to empower you. And when the devil's trying to kill you and destroy you, you've just got to stand up and say, I'm going to take my stand against this old devil. Because this unity is going to be maintained. The unity myself, my own life and relationship with Christ is going to be maintained. And I'm going to get after it. I'm going to have action after it. But I'm going to follow through through it. You know, Winston Churchill, because you know he's British, um, the polite way to say what he used to always say after the end of every phone call or to close a phone call, he'd always say, KBO. The polite way to say it is keep plodding on. He used to say, keep buggering on. Keep buggering on. The Germans were coming to destroy England. And, and, and he said, we'll fight them on the beaches. We'll fight them. We'll fight them with our, our garden implements if we have to. But we're going to keep buggering on. And that really is the follow-through. Not just a commitment to the beginning commitment, we're going to go to war. Not we're just going to send troops over and we're going to have action, we're going to show action and we're, the Americans are going to get involved and the whole world is going to be involved in this war, but we're going to KBO. And we have to apply that to our faith to get the victory. Because the enemy's onslaught is all the time. He doesn't pack it in. He's sneaky and, and, and he's the wiles of the enemy. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your personal weaknesses. He knows mine. He knows our corporate weaknesses. And he will attack whenever he can. And if we don't keep KBO, and if we don't understand that we've had a beginning that we can hold on to, that we're maintaining and we don't have some action toward it to, to maintain it, and we're not following through, then we live a defeated life. And then you wonder, why don't we have unity? Well, we're going to have unity. And the first place to get it is right here. See, in the beginning, he says, this is a beginning. 
when Paul, can you imagine having communion with Paul? Now, he didn't sit down with Jesus when he broke the bread, but he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So when we come to this table, just picture yourself in that room where Jesus put an apron around his waist, went around washing people's feet, and then he served them the bread and the cup. That's what that humility means. It means putting, putting the apron on. Have you put your apron on? As we come to the communion table and we think about that, we think about the humility and we think about our oneness and we think about the fact that we all have one Lord and one faith. When, you, when, when we start to come to church, when you get up in the morning and you think, well, I'm going to go to church, do you think, well, you know, I'm going to go there for me? Or do you get up in the morning and go, you know what, where's my apron? I want to put my apron on because I'm, I'm going to be looking for somebody that needs their feet washing. That means you need, you're struggling and you need some follow-up. And you're here, praise God. We're here together. Sometimes a pastor can beat up the very congregation that's right in front of him. Everybody got up out of bed today and said, let's go. Let's get into fellowship. We didn't come here to get beat up. But the old devil got up to beat you up. He keeps you sometimes from the communion table. No, don't take communion. You got something against somebody. Somebody's got something against you. So don't ever take, you know, you'll never take communion. Now you do have to take it right. You do have to take it right. You have to have the right spirit. And the right spirit is recognizing what he's done and telling him anything that he shows you that is inappropriate and saying, Lord, please forgive me. And he does it instantly. Look to me, he says, and be saved. He didn't say, look to me and then do this, 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 and this. He said, look to me and be saved. Turn away from that. Look to me. Boom, you're saved. There's your beginning. Now be filled with me so you've got the power of God in you to keep buggering on. It's kind of a slanderous word. I trust that the Holy Spirit will cleanse it and uh, help us to keep plodding on. So let me ask the elders to come forward and...